The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Forgiveness is the key to opening up our hearts so that the flow of God's mercy can move freely in us. We need to give the Holy Spirit permission to bring to our minds those things that need to be resolved in our hearts. It's not information that we need. It's not facts. The devil has all the information. He has all the facts. It doesn't touch his heart. No, we need something that will touch our heart. We have in the scriptures two trees. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to call it the tree of judgment. Where now you're going to know good and evil and you're going to make the judgments. You're going to make the accusations. You're going to make the defense that you're right and they're wrong. You're going to be well protected by your knowledge. And then there's the tree of life. The tree of life is characterized by the Holy Spirit, the comforter. So, If we want the flowing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're going to have to eat not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's filled with accusations and judgments, self-righteousness. We're going to have to eat from the tree of life. I believe that tree of life is actually Jesus. He said his flesh is real food and his blood is real drink. It's under the administration of the Comforter. He's the one who comes to our heart. And he's the one who teaches us the key of forgiveness. Now, I want to share quickly today three vital things that are necessary if we're going to have this revelation, if we're going to have an understanding that will open our hearts for the flowing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Number one, we must have a revelation of how big God is. We must know that there is absolutely nothing that is impossible for him. In Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, Job is talking, or Jeremiah is talking to the Lord. He's been told to purchase a piece of property just before the Babylonian captivity, and he's upset that he's had to spend this money on this piece of property that he knows he'll never own, except in name. Beginning in Jeremiah 32, verse 17, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power an outstretched arm, Nothing is too hard for you. 
You shall love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the father's sins into the laps of their children after them. O great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are opened all the ways of men. You reward everyone according to his conduct and his deeds deserve. You performed miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this very day, both in Israel and among all mankind, and have gained the renown that is still yours. You brought your people Egypt. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land that you had sworn to give their forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey or follow your laws. They did not do what you commanded them to do, so you brought all this disaster upon them. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, as you now see. This is Jeremiah. He's saying God is so great. He is so big. He can bring blessing or he can bring disaster. He rules over everything. Now please hear me. If you're dealing with a disaster in your life, or if you're dealing with just deadness in your heart, if you're bored and you're tired, know today that God holds your life in his hands and nothing can come to you except by his will and his power. The devil has no power against the Almighty God of Heaven. The Lord God of Heaven rules over heaven and earth, and the devil must submit to his demands, for he is a creature created, and God rules. So if you're going to have the flowing presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to have to understand right at the beginning that God is in control. And you're going to have to acknowledge him and submit to him. You're going to have to know that the Lord is the Almighty. In the book of Luke, the first chapter, Mary has just been told that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And she's not known a man. And she has a simple question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Please understand today, 
grasp it with your heart, not your mind, with your heart, grasp, and understand that no circumstance can stand against the will of God. No snare can hold you fast when the Lord God of heaven releases you. Why do I spend so much time in the prayer closet, crying out to God, reading the word? I'll tell you why. Because he holds in his hand my life, my future, my past. He is the one who is totally in control. I must understand this. I must grasp it with my heart that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is none like unto him. Now, do I always like what the circumstances are in my life? (laughs) No. No. According to the book of Hebrews, I just read again this morning, the 12th chapter, it says that God disciplines his children. That if he doesn't discipline you and you're simply given over to the world, the flesh, and the devil, then God doesn't love you in a redemptive way because you've turned him aside. You've slapped his hand aside. He's always had his hand out to you. But you have to receive what he wants to give you. And part of receiving is acknowledging that where I am right now, God has control of. He's in charge. I'm not in charge of my life. The Lord God of of heaven and earth, he is in charge of my life. And so I'm eager to hear from him. I'm eager to know what his will is. I'm eager to know what he wants me to do and what he doesn't want me to do. No, I have to tell you, I've gotten myself in some terrible problems by just acting on what I think I need rather than on what God has needed and what he has wanted. I have in my past reached out and grasped that relationship or that opportunity or that situation or that advantage and it was not God's will. And I have then As it says in Isaiah 50, I've laid down in torment because my actions were not righteous, even though I thought they were right. My thinking something is right doesn't make it right. It's what God thinks that makes it right or wrong. If I eat from the tree of the good and evil, then I think I have the right to determine the course of my life and what is right and what is wrong. But when I eat from the tree of life, the Holy Spirit directs my steps. And he decides what is right and what is wrong. So today you may be in a horrible situation because of your own choices. Or you may be in a situation of prescribed discipline by God on your life. If it's the latter, know that It will change. God does not discipline forever. He has a very compassionate and merciful heart. And it's up to you to go before him and acknowledge that he rules heaven and earth 
and that you gladly submit to whatever he chooses, it's all right. Now, there's a second realization, a second revelation that we must have if we are going to walk with the Lord in repentance, in forgiveness, and that is we must we must grab a hold and understand in our heart the revelation of God's holiness. Of God's holiness. If you look in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I'll begin reading in verse 12. Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? The next verse begins to tell us how to do that. Verse 14. This is Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 14. Make every effort to live at peace with all men. How do you live at peace with all men? You leave aside all your accusations and all of your judgments. You lay aside your pride. You acknowledge that the Almighty God is the one who is in charge. And this person or that person. We simply place in the hands of Jesus and we bless them. We don't curse our enemies. We pray for those who despitefully use us. We give them into the hand of Jesus and ask him, please, this is my enemy. Jesus, would you bless them? Would you come and meet with them? The way you strengthen your feeble arms is you stop the fight. The way you have your weak knees strengthened is you make level paths for your feet. In other words, that which causes you to stumble is an accusing spirit, a judgmental spirit. I know one person. It's very difficult to talk with them because they're always right. And I'm always wrong. (laughs) I've learned how to deal with it. And that is by simply letting them be right. And taking it to Jesus and asking him, please bless this person. I don't have to prove to them that I'm right. I don't have to defend myself. I have no reputation to defend. My reputation is in Jesus. So I don't have to fight to prove that I'm right and they're wrong. So I make level paths for my feet so I don't stumble. And then it says, make every effort to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile me. A bitter root comes, as I think I'm right and I think they're wrong. And I engage in the fight to prove that they're wrong. Then they're even more defensive. 
and the fight builds and grows. So many times in my life, I've been so right I was wrong, so defensive for my position I was wrong. There is a problem that is so painful and so hurtful, not only to me, but to others. And that is when I set my heart against another person. When I see somebody do something that I don't like and I don't approve of, and I flare up in a moment and say, if they're going to act that way, I'm done with them. I've hurt my own heart, and I've hurt that person. Because instead of blessing, I have cursed. When I begin to ask God for justice against another person, I am then opening the door for Satan to go to Jesus and say, I demand justice with this one, with Ray. I demand justice with him. Look at the things he's done wrong. I demand justice. And mercy stops to flow in my life, and suddenly my pockets have holes, and I lose money. My heart is hard. I look at the world, and I see enemies instead of people who need the blessing of God. And my heart grows bitter. Have you set yourself against a brother? A sister? Have you set your heart against a pastor? Have you set your heart against somebody at work and you've just said, that's a worthless person? I'm just not going to have anything more to do with them. I am cutting them off. I used to say, when someone does things I don't like, I just put them in the refrigerator. I let them get frosty. I don't deal with them. I can't live that way anymore. And I don't. I can't cut people off and demand justice. Because that opens the door for me to be called into the courtroom of justice. And then poured out into my life are the judgments of God. The judgments of the devil. The judgments of others. This is why this broadcast is called Forgiveness and Repentance. I have to first forgive myself and others. And we're going to talk in depth about that. And then I have to repent for the hardness of my heart. For the bitterness of my spirit. Because that root of bitterness poisons not just me. It poisons other people. When we set up a block, a barrier, a wall, and say, I'm done with you. I've known brothers who haven't spoken for five or ten years. I know parents who don't speak to their children, and the children refuse to speak to their parents because they don't like what their mom or dad did. How evil that is before the Lord. And then in that spirit of bitterness, they go out and try to recruit others against that person. And pretty soon you have a whole conspiracy of of judgments calling for justice, disrespecting, cutting off. 
God hates that. If you want the river of God's spirit to flow in your life, you're going to first have to know how big God is. And then secondly, you're going to have to know how holy God is, that he is righteous. And you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to reverence in awe, in awe, in awe of the mighty name of God. Now there's a, there's a third part. We need a fresh revelation of how much God loves us. So first of all, we have to have a very clear revelation, a very clear revelation of how big God is and how small we are. And then we're going to have to have a very clear revelation of how holy God is. And then we're going to have to look at the cross. And we're going to have to see how much God loves us. Yesterday I was in the prayer closet. And I literally began to bellow out to God my love for Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Mighty God of heaven and earth, thank you for dying on that cross for me. You paid the full price. You have given to me the gift of forgiveness. You have washed me and made me clean. And I began to just bless his holy name at the top of my lungs. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I began to sing songs of praise. And I can't sing, but I was by myself. So I sang at the top of my voice. I surrender all. And other beautiful songs that I have in my heart. I began to sing those to Jesus. As I did that. Oh, the river of God's love just flowed in my heart. Melted me down to tears. I began to know the love of God in my heart. I began to know I was part of the family. Now, I need to go a step further. I need to take you to the book of Luke. Because there is a process involved in what I'm describing today. It's a painful process, but it's a good one. John the Baptist spoke about what Jesus was going to do with this regard. They asked John the Baptist, who are you? And he replied, I am a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. In other words, let God straighten out the crooked places in your life. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. In other words, your life is going to get leveled out. Some of you are either higher than a kite or lower than a mole. You're always up and down, up and down. 
depressed, discouraged. He's saying, this has to change. There has to be a a straight, smooth path for Jesus. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth. This is a description of what God's going to do in your life, that he is doing if you are a follower of his. And sometimes we talk about this as walking in the desert. And surely the earth is a desert, and we are on our way to Cana land. And in the process, he wants to straighten our path. And then John said to the crowds, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember I said number two was, you've got to begin to understand the awesome holiness of God. And we have to be aware that the wrath of God is coming on this earth, and he will deal with all sin. Do you hear me? He's not going to put up with those little favorite sins that we've held on to. He wants them gone. He wants the fruit of repentance. Well, what is the fruit of repentance? It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, long-suffering. It's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Then he makes this terrifying startling statement the axe is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire well what what should we do the crowd asked terrified and he says the man with two tunics should share with him who has none the one who has food should do the same in other words don't hold on to your stuff reach out Let the flowing presence of God cause you to minister to the needs of other people. Look, this is concrete action that God is asking for. It's not philosophical. It's not informational. It's reaching out and caring. Because we've been reached out to by Jesus. And we've been cared for by Jesus. But then he begins to describe the work that will bring us to a place where all of this is possible. All of us, if we've any history at all, have been hurt many times. We've been disappointed many times. Someone promised they would pay us back, and they didn't pay us back, and we lost. Or someone promised that they would love us, and then had an affair. Or someone promised they would they would walk with us, And then they begin to be bitter and angry and judgmental, accusatory, and the peace is broken. Sometimes someone backbites at the job and we lose that position where they make our life miserable. Things happen. People get hurt. You get hurt. I get hurt. There seem to be shortages, injustice, lack of finances. We all face these things. We have to deal with them. 
And part of the work in straightening out these paths and making crooked roads straight is to let the Holy Spirit, by the message of Jesus, come back and begin to deal with these issues. Listen to what the scriptures say. This is the third chapter of the book of Luke. I'll begin reading with verse 16. I baptize you with water says John, but one more powerful than I will come, and the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Oh, I like to read that far in this passage of Scripture. I am crying out to God. I was in the prayer closet this morning, crying out to God in the early hours of this morning, asking him, for the full Pentecost baptism, for revival in America, crying out for our nation, crying out with tears before God. The promise is, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I need that Shekinah fire. I need that that lampstand fire in the church. I need the menorah to be lit in my life and in the church. I'll die without it. So I like to read and stand and and pray this promise that he will baptize me with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then I go to Luke of the 11th chapter, and there Jesus says, if you ask the Father, he knows how to, if you as a father know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? So I'm asking, I'm standing on the promise. I'm not going to back down. But then, listen to the rest of what John said Jesus would do. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preach the good news to them. I am coming to you with good news today that Jesus, that Jesus is all-powerful. And that Jesus is totally and completely holy, righteous, innocent. And that he loves you with a passion so much so that he died for you on the cross. And now John is saying, Jesus is coming. His winnowing fork is in his hand. What's the use for a winnowing fork? If you don't know this, let me share it quickly. He picks the grain up with this winnowing fork, and he slams it against a wall, a stone wall, or against a stone floor. It's a brutal process. What happens? It breaks the hard kernel that is around that precious kernel of wheat. And when it breaks, it opens up. Or they have the the grinding mill. They have something to break that hard crust. And then the wheat is brought into the barn. And the harvest is complete. Right now, Jesus 
wants to break those hard crusts, those hard shells. Those hard shells, he wants to break them off your heart. Those places where you've said, I'm done with you. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Those places where you have cut off men and women because of your harsh judgment of them. Jesus is saying, I want to come and winnow you. That's what John is saying. I want to break that hard crust off your heart, that hopelessness, that despair, that that loneliness, that snare that holds you in captivity. I want to break it off your life. Look, the whole thing about the gospel of Jesus is that he's all-powerful, he's totally holy and righteous, and he he loves you passionately, and he wants to break that hard shell off your heart. Now, you've heard me so many times on this broadcast. Come and say, stop sinning. Well, what is sin? Sin is one of those hard shells on your heart. And he he doesn't want you to struggle with self-help to break that sin out of your heart. He wants to release you from it. He wants to set you free. He came that we could have life and life to the uttermost, a life full of joy and, and pleasure in his presence. Do you get it? God loves you. But he's righteous. And his wrath is manifest against all sin. Read carefully First John. Read it over and over. His wrath is made manifest against sin. But if we will confess our sin, and we will repent, he will remove it, and he will purify us, and he will make us holy. But we're going to have to hold in our minds the absolute certainty that God is all-powerful that he is not overcome by the devil. He is not overcome by our circumstances. He's not overcome by the sickness that's in our lives, in our bodies, in our minds. He is all-powerful. And he is holy. And he wants to make us holy as a gift of grace. And he wants to show us on the cross how much he loves us. A dear friend, he's now retired. David Ruhlman was the manager of Weva for many years. I first met him in San Diego, California, when I was considering having a religious broadcast there. And then he moved to Washington, and he said, Ray, I'm moving to Washington. Why don't you come to D.C.? Well, I knew the Lord was calling me to D.C. That's where he told me years before I would minister. So we moved to Washington. One day I was at the studio preparing for a broadcast, and he came striding down the hall, and his face was aglow. He said, Ray, as he, those of you who know him understand, what Ray, and he, he took my arm. And he said, at the cross, 
there's something that is so awesome. I said, what is it, David? He said, we don't stay at the cross. We repent before God for our sins. And then we mock, we walk right on through that cross to the other side. And now we're washed and we're clean and we're made whole. And we walk in the love of God. And we begin now to minister the love of God to other people. And he was just a glow. He said, I'm so excited about this. He was right. Most of us who have bowed at the cross have bowed and stayed right there and have never gone on to the glory of being forgiven and made clean that we could walk in the fullness of life. Now, part of what happens in this winnowing of our life Part of what happens is that shell has to be broken. There has to be a a change in us. There has to be a granting of forgiveness. A granting of forgiveness. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. Please be present. But there is a granting of forgiveness to others. And there is a blessing of others. I go to the post office almost every day to check for your letters, your gifts, that this broadcast could stay on the air. I have a prayer I always pray before I walk into that post office. I say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what is in the box. And Lord Jesus, thank you for what is not in the box. I bless those that you called to give, but who have not done so. Lord, bless them. Encourage their hearts. And I go to the box, and if there's a letter there, I thank God for it. And I pray right there for that person. If there's no letter there, I praise God. I bless him, and I bless the person he called to give and did not. When we're facing very difficult circumstances, like if our car is no longer operable, we don't have a car, and we're in great hardship because we don't have that car. Should we moan and groan and complain because we don't have the car? And Demand of God that he give us what we need and open the door for us, provide the finances? No. Instead, we say, Jesus, thank you for the car you're sending. Thank you for the kindness in providing the finances. Thank you for your great mercy and kindness to me. And we continue to bless the Lord and wait upon him with joy until our prayer is answered and he gives to us either the car or the means to buy the car that he's called for. Now, part of what's difficult for the church and for the ministry is the the ministry say needs a new car. And somebody says, oh, I have a car, I'll give it to you. 
Oh, thank you. And then you discover that it's a tithe car. <laughs> What do I mean? Well, they used up 90% of it and they gave you the last 10%. They gave Jesus the last 10%. <laughs> you know what? The Lord says, bless and don't curse. Don't complain. Bless. We are called to bless and not to curse. We're not called to put up a block and a barrier and say, I'm done with you. We're called to bless. And so as we, as we face those difficult things in our heart, the injustices, the lacks, the things we don't have that we need, as we look, for example, I'm coming to the end of the month and we are far from being able to pay for radio this month yet. How should I deal with that? I'll tell you how I dealt with it this morning in the prayer closet. I said, Lord, you see how much is here. You see how much we need. It's impossible in the flesh. Lord, I just bless your name and I bless your people that you'll call to give. He won't hear complaints from me. He won't hear judgments. Well, Lord, if you don't do this, I'm just going to go off the air. Are you kidding me? If I go off the air, it's because he told me to go off the air, not because there wasn't enough money. He pays for what he orders. Do you hear what I'm saying? Very real examples of, look, we praise Jesus. In the midst of our pain and anguish, we lift up holy hands because he is holy. And we worship him and we praise his name and we wait upon him and he will deliver us because nothing is too hard for him. He will deliver us because we are acknowledging, we are acknowledging his holiness, his righteousness. Nothing can block that blessing because we acknowledge the wonderful love of Jesus for his people. That he's not a hard man. He's kind and merciful and long-suffering. Bears patiently with us. The only response I can have to all of that in every circumstances of need is, Lord, I bless your holy name. I bless you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, even if I'm weeping as I follow you because of the pain. Now, let's be clear. I'm not Pollyanna here. I have some things in my life that are utterly painful. That if I think very much about them, I'll begin to weep. And I bring them to the Lord on a regular basis. And I weep over them. But my feelings don't determine my prayers. So even if I weep because it is so utterly painful... I hold on to the truth that Jesus is the Almighty, that he is holy. I don't ask for his justice in my situation. I ask for his mercy. I ask for his grace. I ask for his blessing. See, just because something is painful doesn't justify me allowing a bitter root to grow in my heart. 
It doesn't justify my being angry with God or with another person, another man, a woman or a child. It doesn't justify my bitterness and my anger. All of that is sin. And that's why this broadcast is called forgiveness, repentance. That's what it's about. Allowing the flowing presence of God to move in your heart. I want more than anything else for the gift of God in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that requires that Jesus come and break those hard shells in my heart and that I respond to that breaking into that pain without judgments, without demanding justice. But instead, I lift holy hands in praise and worship and thanksgiving in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the testing. I acknowledge that Almighty God is all-powerful, that He is holy, and that He loves me. And I rest in Jesus with that absolute certainty, no matter what the circumstances, as my late wife lay dying, as I held her in my arms, I said exactly what she told me to say while she spoke. She said, Ray, if I die, say to the Lord, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the most painful of circumstances, let us lift up holy hands and worship him who made heaven and earth and who died on Calvary's tree. Almighty God, I love you, Jesus. My heart is overflowing today because of your grace and your kindness, your mercy. My heart is overflowing because my life is hidden in you. I'm overflowing today, Jesus, because nothing is too hard for you. And you are holy and pure. And you love me. And you will never depart. You will never leave me. You will never abandon me. Lord, thank you. Lord, I just take this moment to bless every person listening to this broadcast. Lord, I bless them in in your name, Jesus. And I ask that you break off every hard shell from their heart and bring them fully into the flowing presence of the Holy Spirit. I ask that you baptize them with fire, with Pentecost power. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you straighten the crooked road, that you heal their wounded heart. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. Or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. I read.
Take up my cross. 